This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, Equalizer Extra subscribers. It's time for another episode of the Equalizer Podcast. Welcome to episode 56 of the Equalizer podcast. I'm Chelsea Bush. With me is Claire Watkins. And we are here to talk about all the NWSL games, except at this time for the last one, because as of recording, the uh, rain and Orlando game has not happened. But we'll get to that later. First up, obviously, is the wild match in Chicago. And since you were there, Claire, why don't you start us off? Yeah, I, um, I don't think... I don't think I've ever witnessed a game quite like that one. Um, a lot happened. A lot of it was uh, a bit weird. It was kind of obviously you have a 4-4 game. It's going to be a weird game. Um, it was a great game, though. It was very entertaining. Uh, Portland, Both Portland and Chicago looked equally dangerous and vulnerable in different spaces, and they played each other really well. But... It was a game that had a little bit of everything, but also is kind of hard to analyze just because so many of the goals were so weird. Um, there were two PKs, one for a handball on Ellie Carpenter, which was on the opposite side of the press box, so I didn't see very well. Um, and then there was a second PK much later in the game that Christine Sinclair got her hat trick on um, after a foul on Mitch Purse from Katie Naughton. There was one goal that was definitely <clears throat> uh, taken by the wind, um, there was a goal of Sam Kerr stripping Emily Stonnet, uh, to get in on goal. Um, weird, weird game, but very fun. Uh, what was it like watching at home? Pretty much the same, maybe not, you know, lacking some of the atmosphere, but it was just, you know, so back and forth and, and very end to end. I mean, that's, and that's the best advertisement this league could have. I think maybe not a great night for defense, but as you said, Emily Sonnet with, with, just an absolute error getting caught in possession. I feel like she does that every so often. She just gets, she gets way too comfortable on the ball in dangerous spots. And Sam Kerr absolutely just picked her pocket, made, made a meal of it. Yeah. Um, that one in particular was so weird too, because if you look at Stonnet's sight line, she saw Kerr running at her the whole time. It wasn't that she didn't know she was there. It was, you're right. It was just, she thought that she had more time or she maybe underestimated how much Kerr really was going after that ball. Um, yeah, Kerr has Kerr has made Sonnet look foolish in the past, and this is definitely another one for the highlight reel. Yeah, yeah, she like tried to turn away from her. Like she absolutely, you're, you're right. She absolutely knew she was coming. She just she should have just cleared it away. And I think she tried to get too cute with it. And that's what I'm saying. You, center backs have to be really careful about when they try to get cute with the ball, and that that's what happens. Um, you know, on the opposite end, I didn't think it was was Katie Naughton's best game. Besides the the penalty yeah. on that first Sinclair goal, she really wasn't uh, watching her and, and just kind of let her get on her shoulder and slip in behind her. And it wasn't a uh, usually we see a lot better positioning than that um, from Katie Naughton. Yeah, she had a, she did have a, a kind of a tough game. Um, she it was hard to tell. It looked she was someone that by the end of the match looked like the gas tank was just completely empty. And I don't know if it was it might have just been cramping. It you know might just not have been her day. But it looked like physically she was less comfortable than she is on on her best day. Um, yeah, and you're right. The the marking like the what we can take away from from this game I think is that Portland <clears throat> has a number of offensive options. So if you eliminate one, they can hurt you with a different one. Um, and that Chicago still needs to work on their 
awareness of, of where offensive players are. Um, because what you saw a lot, and this was exemplified in that second, in Sinclair's second goal, and even the, the first goal, where um, Casey Short was playing Tobin Heath super tight. And she actually did a great job. Tobin Heath wasn't a, a huge um, influence on this match. But because Casey Short had her hands full with Heath, uh, Heath had Klingenberg behind her for much of the match, just in wide open space. So Heath would drop it off. Klingenberg would be the one sending the ball in. Um, and then Chicago struggled to mark, uh, you know, when to defend against service. And that is how you get scored on four times by the Portland Thorns. Um, so that, that was pretty classic. I thought that was pretty classic stuff, uh, between Chicago and Portland. I think maybe the other thing, the new, the thing that I saw yesterday that I thought was new really came from Chicago's third and fourth goals where they were combining in a way that, um, I don't think Chicago's necessarily known for. Um, I know that (laughs) I saw, I know there was a bunch, there were a bunch of shadows on the stream, so I don't know how well. All of that stuff could be seen, but um, the combination play on Chicago's third goal where Vanessa DiBernardo has it at the top of the box. She sends it into Morgan Bryan, who pings it back out to Julie Ertz, who sends it right back in for Michelle Vasconcelos. Is That was very cool to see from the Red Stars, and I hope they can do that more. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was very hard to see anything in the shadows. It would mostly just be you could kind of make out like a um... – a Portland player, you could not see the Chicago players at all, and you just kind of see the ball move, and you're, okay, well, that there must be a Chicago player there because it just went this way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had to watch that one on replay. But, yeah, it was a very, very good sequence. I'm glad you brought that up about Casey Short and Tobin Heath because I just I feel like that's one of the best, most even matchups we see in this league. And I'm not sure there's another outside back in this league that can contain Tobin Heath like Casey Short. But, as you said, good acknowledgement from Portland – to okay, say, okay, you know what, I am being, for, for, for Heath to say, I am being marked closely. I'm not getting the space that I'm used to, and I can't f- create it for myself. So I'm just going to lay it off for Megan Klingenberg. And I think that's, playing Portland sometimes, I think, is like if you're in a leaky boat and you plug one hole and another one just pops up. Exactly. And so you're constantly like dancing around trying to minimize the damage. And I thought Chicago did, did that about as well as, as anyone could. And the unfortunate part of that was maybe um, – to their own own detriment at times um a 4-4 game while being exciting is it's good that you score that many goals it's not good that you give up that many goals yeah it's it's interesting too kind of as a counterpoint Klingenberg versus Short as like outside back philosophy because Casey Short um is what is by far perhaps maybe the best natural outside back in the league defensively she's a natural defender um and watching the art of her the art of her defending is is really really cool and actually not seen a ton I think in in American soccer um and Klingenberg but her debt to to her detriment that means that she doesn't push uh forward as much she's less of an attacking outside back more of a defensive one um Klingenberg's kind of the opposite I know that she uh people rag on her sometimes for getting burnt because she pushes up too far but not unlike Emily Sonnet sometimes she can send these balls in her service is is really kind of an underrated part of her game and she can rack up again she can rack up assists so you know if you have an outside back that's pushing against Klingenberg she might be exposed but if you give her space she can also really hurt you going forward so I thought that that whole dynamic on that side was was a really interesting subplot of that match yeah I think Casey Short is much more of your traditional fullback whereas Klingenberg definitely um, exemplifies the modern more of a more of a winger right and I think we're kind of seeing a shift in the game um, I mean so for that matter if you look at Chicago's own outside backs I think that Aaron Wright is much more of an attacker yes than Casey Short is yeah. um, doesn't always know what to do with it when she gets down there but does absolutely love to get up the field and then make something happen in the box yeah um, um absolutely and that was that was another interesting thing to see um, on Chicago's end with uh, right on the left behind Katie Johnson, who got her first start for the Red Stars, and kind of seeing that relationship develop. Um, I think that they, they <laughs> opposite problem, I think they left that side of the field exposed sometimes because they were too far forward. But um, Katie Johnson's going to be a really important connecting player for the Red Stars, especially during the international breaks. So um, 
that was another cool thing to see. Yeah, I thought I thought Katie had a, a little bit of a, sh- a quiet game. You know, she she did a lot off the ball that I thought was good. Her movement was good as far as drawing players out. Mm-hmm. I just I would have liked to see a little bit more of her. Yeah, get on the ball, make some make be more of a threat in the box. Right. Rory Dame said after the game that he thought in that first half that um, the team didn't do a great job of utilizing her. Um, whether that's just because they aren't used to having her out there, or um, I know Alyssa Motts was on was questionable as a under an illness. So I don't think she was playing at 100% yesterday and you could kind of see that. Um, so, but then as the game developed, I think Johnson got better and better at getting involved And her finest moment was that final goal that Chicago scored. She had a beautiful give and go with Kerr, which ended up with Kerr's block shot that was deflected onto uh, Yuki Nagasato's knee. But, um, it was like you could see in game how Kerr and Johnson were figuring out how to play together a little bit more, and that was cool. Yeah, and one other player I really want to talk about was talk about super sub with Michelle Vasconcelos. Wow! Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that's great too because she is a player that I think she so she missed her rookie season due to pregnancy. So last year was really her rookie season, and you could just tell that she. It was taking her a little bit longer to adjust to the speed of play. Um, and she was someone who had so many great looks on goal uh, last year, and then she was just kind of snake bit. She couldn't couldn't get the shot off. She couldn't get that finish until the last Sky Blue game of the year. So for her to get a goal this early in the season, what a confidence booster and also an indicator that she's getting so much more confident um, running a goal, which is great. I also thought it, the three subs – well, this this – game was kind of a story of substitutes too where um chicago's subs they got de bernardo on they got brian on and immediately the midfield kind of came together in a way that it was struggling with with um with uh Ertz, colaprico and Mott's. and so it just goes to show that those possession-minded players are going to be so essential for chicago if they can get healthy um and then portland subs they got um Gabby Seiler on, they got Mitch Purse on, and then at the very end, they brought on Dagny Brynja's daughter, which uh, the Purse sub worked great for them because she was the one who drew the penalty uh, to put Portland ahead. But the Brynja's daughter sub left uh, the back line pretty exposed, which is kind of how Chicago got their fourth and even were very close to getting a fifth there at the very end. So um, I the substitutes for Portland showed maybe some of the the wonkiness on their roster when it comes to defensive depth, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for them, they're only going to lose uh, Emily Sonnet and Ellie Carpenter, I think, to, to the World Cup as far as their, their back line goes. Um, they'll have Klingenberg, Reynolds, and Menges whenever she comes back. Right. Yeah, I think, I, w- I think, I'd, you know, t- stating the obvious, but um, – the back line's better when, when Mangas is in it. Well, absolutely. I think everything's better when Mangas is, yeah, is around. Right. Um, but I was glad to see Gabby Seiler, and I'm glad you brought her up, because I thought she's going to be the natural um, fill there for that the fourth defender during the World Cup, and I thought she did pretty well for yeah. the first minute. She, she's interesting because she went on for Klingenberg at outside back, which I know she can do, but I think Portland is – thinking of her and this is what I saw in in preseason out in Portland is I think they're probably thinking her as center back depth for when Sonnet is gone I think you might see Siler and Menges in the middle together um but it makes sense that they wanted to get her minutes on the field to kind of work her into the squad because yeah they're definitely going to need her uh when everyone's gone yeah I think you're correct and it's just it's better to to sub on an outside back than a center back right it's just for the continuity and the flow of the game but at least still gets her minutes and and gives her a little bit more of a variety of what she can bring yeah but anyway so coming back we will talk about the other two games that actually because yes there were two other soccer (laughs) games on saturday that combined for a total of two goals so we'll be right back Welcome back to episode 56 of the Equalizer podcast. We've discussed that wild eight goal fest. Um, and now we're, we're going to talk about two, two games that 
weren't quite as wild, but still had plenty to, for us to talk about. So first up was Houston's 1-0 win at Sky Blue. Um, unfortunately, Sky Blue's woes continue, although I personally, Claire, I thought that Sky Blue looked a lot better, and I thought that they, they looked pretty dangerous. Um, Carly Lloyd drew a PK early in the game and actually completely missed it, um, which is, is pretty rare from her. You can at least count on her to put those on frame. And the, the interesting part, too, is I think that Jen Campbell 100% had it covered had it been just just on frame at the same same location. Uh, right. Jen Campbell seems to kind of have a, has a nose for those those PKs, but I think that would have that would have changed the game, right? Like yeah. I think if Sky Blue could get a lead. Yes. Right. If they had had the opportunity to go up one after playing well, you know, it's it's I think it's a little bit and we saw this sometimes with Sky Blue last year too where they'd put together 20, 30 minutes of, of decent, cohesive play, and then they would concede. And then that's when the psychological part of it would set in and things would, you know, just go keep keep uh, keep descending. So I agree. I think if, if Carly had been able to get that on frame, however, I think you're right. I think Campbell had that. I mean, when you watch it initially, it kind of it looked like Campbell might have even touched it. Um, so that had to be <laughs> – they have to just feel like they can't, you know – the bad luck has continued, but I agree. I think that um, Sky Blue played with a plan. Um, they still just don't have the personnel to really hang with a lot of teams in the league, but um, yeah, they definitely, and, and obviously Kalen Sheridan had an incredible match as well, um, but they were able to disrupt what Houston was trying to do, and it definitely also showed that Houston maybe is not quite at that next level yet. Yeah, I think this was kind of a drop down from for Houston from what they showed us last week with the rain. And I think what you're seeing and then this game and then the next game we'll talk about as well is especially when you contrast it to Portland and Chicago are teams that are still kind of in preseason. Right. They're they're finishing quite isn't there. You know, Rachel Daly got one V one with Kaylin Sheridan twice and failed to convert either of those, one of which ultimately led to the uh, Sofia Huerta goal. But I think Rachel Daly in June, even though she won't likely will not be there in June, but a, a June Rachel Daly would have finished those one hundred percent. Yeah, I think um, that that makes sense. I also think, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, especially when it comes to there were some teams who take more of an aggressive approach to preseason and, and some that some that mostly play college college games. And um, yeah, the precision the precision wasn't quite there. The finishing wasn't quite there. Um, yeah, it just looks like that. The other thing too is, is with Houston and the difference between Houston and a team like Portland and Chicago is, um, there's a very steady nature to, to the rosters of those two other teams. And so you can see chemistry that's left over from years past. Whereas with Houston, it still kind of feels like they're getting to know each other a little bit. Yeah, maybe, but they've also, they brought back 16 players from last year, which is the most continuity they've ever had. Right, I guess maybe the other thing too would more be the, the coaching. Coach. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think it's more the coach. Um, but talking about new players, I thought Sophie Schmidt continued to have a really good game for them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was notable in two ways. And one is that she rotated, you know, drops deep into the back line whenever some of the outside backs would push up to provide cover when defenders would get pulled out or, you know, maybe Amber Brooks pushed up sometimes. I think that's something we've, that Houston has really lacked in the past and their defense has always been very prone to getting pulled out of shape. And I think that she helped that very well. And I thought she also just worked it up through the midfield and was kind of that connector. And I, you could really tell in, in the period when, after she subbed out, yeah, Sky Blue really came back into the game at that point. Yeah, absolutely. She definitely provides a certain amount of, um, intentionality to what's happening in Houston's midfield that I'm not sure they had before, um, which makes sense. She's been in the game for a long time and she's, she's great at, at reading, you know, what is, is needed of her at, at any, at any given moment. So I think you're right. I think that she adds kind of a calming presence to that midfield that they've been lacking. Yeah. And on the flip side, Sky Blue did not have Savannah McCaskill available right, yeah. for reasons I don't know yet. Yeah, um, they – well, she's been on the injury report as questionable for a knee injury for the last two weeks, and I'd be interested to know exactly how severe that is. Yeah, maybe it got aggravated last week right. or something like that. But um, they really, really missed her pace because they just didn't have anyone who could take advantage of any space that was left behind and really – 
you know, Carly Lloyd is not the player who's going to get behind your back line very often. Right. And you have Imani Dorsey pulled deeper back into the midfield. They just, they really lack someone to threaten them to, to make things happen for them up top. Yeah. I mean, the reality for sky blue this year is they need, I mean, they're making improvements both on and off the field, which is great. But the reality is, is they lost so much of their attacking firepower in the off season. They lost Shea groom. They lost Katie Johnson. Um, if they, I mean, if you look at the way that they played yesterday and you think, oh, well, if, maybe if they had had those players, that could have been a real game. But their roster attrition is going to be an issue just time and time again. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, now, the other 1-0 game yesterday was Utah winning at their home opener in front of, I want to mention, in front of 18,000, yeah. I think 15 fans. Props, which props is, to Utah. Yeah. That was awesome insane yeah um over washington now last week i had said that i think we kind of had to wait and see what washington was made of for them to play a better team so uh do you think that we kind of saw the true measure of washington (laughs) in this game or no yeah i uh i have to say i i maybe under i shouldn't have i shouldn't have underestimated utah but i wasn't sure they were going to test washington i'm not sure that i wasn't ready for them to be washington's first kind of test but um it's a lot different playing Kristen Press than playing, you know, Sky Blue. And, uh, I mean, I, I think Utah had an interesting formation. I thought, you know, Vera Boqueta had a great game for them. Um, yeah, I, uh, Utah is interesting to me because I think, I think with a full season with all of their players, they could be quite good. Um, when they lose <clears> – <throat> excuse me, when they lose Press, I think – we might see a different kind of team. Yeah, and not only press, but you're losing press. You're losing Becky Sauerbrunn and Rachel Corsi and Kayla O'Hara, which and is O'Hara, three right. fourths of their back line. Yep. Which I do want to note that Kayla O'Hara did sub in mm-hmm. uh, late yesterday, as did Mandy Laddish. Mandy Laddish, that's so two and a half awesome. years. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Amazing. Yeah, like, do you know how much so changes cool. in two and a half years? Last time we saw Mandy Laddish was in FC Kansas City. Yeah, that's how long it's been. Right. Um, um, which, you know, that is a great indicator, you know, that's great. That's a great indicator of Utah as a club for helping her, um, work her way back to fitness. And also just a great indicator of kind of where the game's at, that a player can sit out that long, but still have a structure around her to allow her to come back. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of players at that point would have just tossed in a towel and, right. and said, or maybe, you know, in a couple of years ago or a couple of leagues ago, we've just said, you know, I just can't do it. And I think some of the clubs would have just let her go too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. Kudos to both. And I think she'll be important for them as you know, we're talking about these players leaving, but Kristen press, I thought she had an interesting match because I thought her movement was, was phenomenal. It was, it was really, really good. Um, and, and the goal you know, LeBance is on the score sheet, but like, let's give credit to, to Kristen Press for right. making that happen, yeah, right? Yeah, she made that play. But, you know, we talk about players still kind of not, their finishing not being quite there, and I think that's kind of where Press is, because she sent three really good balls over the crossbar. Yeah. And again, I think Kristen Press midseason sends those home, no, no question about it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the interesting thing to me about Press is, and I don't know, I don't know what brought this on. One would One would imagine maybe sort of the, the, the drama and the saga of getting back into the league last year. But um, she's she always plays with intensity. But, man, in 2019, her mental game, I think, has just taken another level. She's playing with – it's like she – you know, it's like she's so hungry, you know, for, for, um, for goals and for getting forward. And she's – you know, I, people – I think it's so funny that people have just started calling her fast – because <laughs> um, yeah, clearly they've never watched Kristen Press before, right they're, they're like oh wow she's really fast but it's just it just goes to show how obviously she's always been incredibly quick but there's this maybe another level that she's hitting this year where um, it's just becoming that is becoming more noticeable to people because uh, yeah she's a real she's a real danger she's a real presence um, yeah and it'll be interesting to see if that continues throughout throughout the year yeah, I think it will. And I think that, that uh, some of that goes back to that camp she was left out of last year. Right. I think really hit home with her. I think she's been playing playing like she has something to prove ever since. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, so I think she, she definitely wants to be that. She knows, you know, World Cup final, she's probably not a starter for Jill Ellis. 
I think she's kind of, Jill's kind of made that clear, but I think she wants to make that not only as hard as possible, but also make sure she's that first sub off the bench and be that impact player that I think everyone thought she was going to be in 2015, but didn't really work out that way. I think she's determined to have a different World Cup. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think right now she's worked her way into second starter, um, you know, during group play, and then hopefully maybe like a half hour every knockout stage to bring new things. And in a way, that's the way that she's playing with that sort of intensity is definitely an interesting kind of mindset, specifically for a sub. Because if you're a sub and you start running at the defense really hard, that can disrupt things. So for her international play, it also makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it suits her really well. Um, and then other uh, international players, actually, or former maybe, I-, I thought Amy Rodriguez had a little bit of a quiet game. She just really wasn't, didn't get many touches on the ball. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to see from you with the big talking point for Utah was always can press and Rodriguez work it out. And obviously right. press is, is doing, making things happen. Um, and the chemistry with Vero is still very much there. I, I'm curious to see where Amy Rodriguez's season goes, particularly after press leaves. If, you know, maybe it becomes, she becomes the focal point or if, if Katie single kind of jumps in there again. Yeah. Amy Rodriguez is another one where I think I don't think we know exactly where her fitness is at any point. And I don't necessarily even mean like physically, I'm sure physically she's, she's fine. But um, after, you know, a spotty couple of seasons where she had the AC, you know, pregnancy and then ACL and then coming back last year, working her way back into, you know, full game fitness. I think the mental part of that, um, just takes time, especially the way that she plays. Cause she's someone who's always quick. She's trying to get behind the back line. Um, she's someone who, you know, her, her touches sometimes can, can get away from her um, on a good day. So I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how her game develops this year. And hopefully, you know, with more repetition, with more time, um, she can be really dangerous. Yeah. It may also be that did- like you said, ACL tear, pregnancy, mental fatigue. It may be that we just need to adjust our expectations of the player that Amy Rodriguez is. Right. And maybe she needs to adjust her expectations. If she, if the speed and the turns aren't quite there like they used to be, she. it's not saying she's, she's going to be a, a bad player. She just has to find a way to sort of reinvent herself. Yeah. To, to accommodate and the way similar I think to the way Christine Sinclair has evolved her game over the years as maybe she slowed down a touch I mean obviously she, she got a hat trick she got a hat trick yeah I know <laughs> and I think big credit to Mark Parsons though for, yeah. for finding kind of a different role for her absolutely so I think Amy Rodriguez maybe maybe we'll have to go through that but also I want to go back and kind of answer my own question uh regarding Washington oh yeah because while I think it was you know, we, we saw that maybe against some of the, the better teams in this league, they're going to struggle a little bit, but they were not out of it at all. No. Last. Right. And again, some finishing. I think think Mal Pugh had some that she should have finished. Lori Lindsay kind of talked about her expectations for her a lot on the broadcast, and I, I agreed with all of it. So I think Washington did a little bit better than I expected, to be honest. I thought they would, would fall apart. Now, I think the interesting thing, too, is Utah is not necessarily – a high press high tempo team right they don't mind sitting back a little bit and just waiting for their opportunities and and being patient so i think that a a team that does you know run a little bit higher that i think that's where washington is going to find their problems i think that's that's the key for success but against you know a very good front line in utah to give up one goal i think wasn't uh i actually expected a little bit less from washington so kudos to them for uh, making me rethink my my evaluation of Washington. <laughs> yeah, I thought they but, did. Uh, I thought they did fine. I think um, they seemed very dedicated to uh, their style of play, which might mean that you know they have some ugly moments, but they're they're trying to really uh, do something, and so I think that that's interesting. Yeah, and I think that's one thing they're going to have to work on is they are obviously very dedicated to building out the back, and that's great. But there's a time and a place, right? And Either you, maybe you're going to be dedicated to it till you get it right, but you don't you don't get building on the back right every single time. No team does. I think it's for them and for Richie Burke acknowledging when it's just not on, and you just need to clear the ball. Right. Um, one more question: Do you think it's interesting that Barnhart started over Abby Smith? I do. I was yeah. I was talking about this. I um, I feel like maybe maybe this is just me, but I never knew 
I never felt like I knew exactly how much Barnhart had taken the job from Abby Smith. Cause obviously Smith got hurt. Barnhart took over. And then um, for the most part, uh, Laura Harvey stuck with her for the rest of the season last year. Um, so getting the start in the, in the opening match of this year is incredibly interesting to me, obviously, because that, those are two goalkeepers with very different ages. Um, and, I I just wonder what's happening in training that that makes Harvey go with experience on this one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I make no secret of how much I like Nicole Barnhart. I think I made that clear was a couple podcasts ago <laughs> talking about how much I like her as a goalkeeper in the league, and I just think she's one of the most consistent um, and one of the best keepers in the league, and always has been. But yeah, I, I thought it was interesting too, and I think. Every season, I wonder if that's the last we see of Nicole Barnhart. I've been wondering that for like five years. Right. And every season, she keeps coming up. And we always talked about her body has taken a lot. And maybe maybe she's, you know, reached kind of kind of worked her way past some of those nagging injuries she used to carry back in her FCKC days. And, um, yeah, I agree, though. I didn't think that she necessarily had claimed that starting spot in Laura Harvey's eyes last season. So, to me, I'm curious if this is Harvey – declaring this is her keeper or if she it's it's anyone's job right you know yeah it'll be interesting to see if they rotate or if it's really barnhart for however long and yeah and i uh the other the other thing i was thinking about the barnhart thing is i i feel i think i am i am biased because the thing that sticks out in my brain the most is just how hurt she was um when she was playing for fc kansas city which I need, I need to change my thinking there because I think, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, well, that's probably, this means that her career is probably winding down. Um, and she's 37. I mean, she's not going to be able to play forever, but, um, yeah, every time she gets a start for Utah, I have to change my expectations and and kind of rethink, uh, what, you know, what I see there. Yeah. And kind of a bummer for Abby Smith. I think she's got a lot of potential, but it's hard to, I think in my mind, argue if, if Barnhart's in good fitness it's hard to argue that experience right you know so all right well coming up we'll have a quick uh, bonus session and then we will get to your questions All right, we're back. Episode 56 of the Equalizer Podcast. And as promised, a special quick bonus session as the Rain and Orlando game has just finished on Sunday night with a 1-1 draw, which continues uh, those two teams' traditions of 1-1 draws. Um, So obviously in a 1-1 game, maybe not a whole lot to talk about. But Claire, what was your your first thought? Yeah, I mean, I thought – I mean, Orlando made a change in the midfield, um, I think, putting Camilla in uh, helped them calm their midfield down a little bit. Uh, It it was an interesting match. I think probably the rain were the better side, but Orlando showed some resilience, I think um, coming off kind of that brutal loss on Wednesday to salvage the point. Yeah. I think honestly, Orlando, you know, having, what was really just a, a super tough schedule to start out with, you know, three games in one week, three of the top teams in the league traveling for the last two. I think this is a good result for them. You know, taking a point out of the rain at home is, is never easy, even if it's a new home. And so I think they were obviously improved from Wednesday, but also that they improved in the second half, you know, they had a really rough start and definitely saw some defensive errors Particularly, I thought Zadorsky really struggled to begin yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, she was lucky not to have have had those bite her a little bit more. Yeah, she was. So I think they kind of rode that wave and settled a little bit. I, I still don't think this is a team that necessarily is going to compete unless some things change. Uh, again, I think we saw finishing an issue, and and I really thought Marta was was very not Marta tonight. Yeah, I mean the thing with Orlando is. Obviously, they hung they hung with the rain well enough um, in the middle of the field, but still quiet nights from Alex Morgan, quiet nights from Marta. Um, same issues as in the past where they're struggling to 
put together put together a style of play that um is connecting with their superstars uh i think that was true tonight it was true on wednesday it was true in their first game um it's been true for a long time and yeah despite yeah despite um playing the rain level i think that that is still a big problem for them yeah and and i know they're not going to have some of those big names for much longer but I don't really see that Orlando has the depth to, to make, you know, for that to make much of a difference. I don't think Rachel Hill is suddenly going to finish her chances when Alex Morgan's not there, you know? Rachel and Hill, I don't... Yeah. Rachel Hill is super interesting to me because obviously she had a very fruitful partnership with Sam Kerr um, in the W league over the, over our winter. Um, but that has never translated at a club level in NWSL. And um, yeah, whenever she finds herself in space, she has trouble deciding what to do, which is interesting to me because she doesn't seem to have that problem elsewhere. So I wonder if it has to do with um, her mental game when it comes to the pride, or if maybe that's just her ceiling. Yeah, I think that's a good point that maybe that just is her ceiling, obviously the W league and, and, and we saw two different beasts, but also I think you know we saw from from Hill in the past that she was such a good sub, such a good sub off the bench, and she just can't quite make that same impact when it's stretched out over ninety minutes. But again, I don't. You look at, look at the bench. I don't know if they have any other options. Yeah, you know, I think Abogagu's really struggled this season. Um, doesn't seem to really pick her head up very as much as she needs to, and. You know, Danica Evans is there. She's she's okay. I just don't think she's a starter in this league. And I just, I'm not sure what their options are to change things. Right. No, I think you're 100% correct. Um, switching it over, um, lots to talk about with the pride. But it seems like the rain have had a bit of a touch and go start to the season. Um, you know, they, uh, they haven't been maybe as dominant as expected. And that might be personnel. Obviously they had a couple kind of tough injuries last week and Megan Rapino hasn't been available, but um, how do you feel about the rain right now? It seems to me like they are not maybe keeping pace with the other top four um, in the league. Um, a couple things. One, I think you really can't understate how big of a loss Megan Rapino is to this team. And I think there's a good chance we don't see Rapino play for the rain until after the world cup. And I think that's that's, yeah. that's difficult. She's just she's a special player, and she's really hard to to replace. You just you can't replicate her. Um, another thing, I don't think Shea Groom is quite settled in yet. She, right. She had a lot of energy tonight. Yeah. She was, almost. Was I mean, she almost havoc. had that. Yeah. That one. That one moment where she uh, she got the better of Ashlyn Harris, but then wasn't quite able to divert the ball into the goal. Yeah, so I think that if she starts getting on the same page as Jody Taylor a little bit more, if those two can kind of work something out, which again Taylor's going to be gone, um, that'll make things happen. I think their midfield was was good. I think they were forcing a lot of turnovers in Orlando, and I think that's good for them. They just haven't quite. I feel like they haven't quite hit their their rhythm. I think the rain usually play a little bit faster. Yeah, and they haven't quite found that yet. My my thought about the rain, and I this is this is interesting i think going into the next couple of weeks is i think um i do think that their engine in the midfield at this moment is ally long uh with 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 fishlock uh out at the moment um and ally long is a bubble player for the us and i think uh the rain will be better if she's available more if she does end up on that roster I think losing her could be a big blow for them. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. She, she's huge for them. And um, since we're speaking about the World Cup and international players, it's probably a good time to segue into our questions because we do have several of those. Yes. So to start it with, Gallum Cardner asks, what do you think of Canada's squad and their chances in France? I love their run at the Rio Olympics, and I'm hoping they can come close to repeating it. And to clarify, I remember correctly, you have some thoughts on Canada. Am yeah, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I think I do. I do mean this actually. I think that Canada could have a strong run this summer. I don't think it's going to be playing like beautiful football. Um, I think that the way that they're organized right now is very um, constructed, very organized. The problem with Canada is, um, unlike the Thorns. 
they have trouble creating offense with Christine Sinclair. And uh, to a certain extent, it, it's it's an idea that they, they feel like if they don't concede, they have a good chance at stealing wins, which is absolutely a strategy that has worked in the past. You see it on the men's side a lot of the time. Um, especially in international play where you get frustrated because things look ugly, but sometimes teams that come in with that strategy do well. Um, so basically my thought about Canada is I, uh, I do think that they could make a deeper run than in 2015. I'm not sure it's going to be beautiful soccer that they're going to be playing. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I, t- I think Canada is, is a little bit overrated as far as, as their rankings. They've had some good, good things happen in the Olympics. Um, you know, I think they'll, they'll do okay in the world cup. Uh, they've got some good individual players. I just think they have a hard time putting it together as a team. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. It's really hard to imagine them beating the United States, Germany, France, Australia. There are a number of teams that I struggle to envision them grinding a win from. Yeah, I think you have to look at the U.S. and Canada and CONCACAF, and at no point in that game did I ever think Canada was going to win that game. Right. I don't think they did either. That was the problem. I mean, that was my main frustration with them was it seems like they went in. They didn't go for a win there. They went for a respectable loss, and um, I think that'll work to a certain extent, but at some point it will stop working. Yeah. Uh, Blake RM says, do you think Jill Ellis is getting many answers out of these NWSL games? Seems critical for bubble players, but I'm not sure if the games have done much for any of their cases. I don't think Jill Ellis gets a ton out of NWSL at any point in time when it comes to her squads. And I, I personally think she's had that squad pretty well chosen um, for a while. So, no, I don't think NWSL is coming into to play at all. Do you have anything to add, Claire? No, I think you're right. I think... Um... The feeling I've gotten is that I think at this moment, Jill Ellis knows exactly who her 23 is. And to be com- completely honest, I wouldn't be shocked if the players didn't already know. Yeah, I, I think that's that's starting to be a not well-kept secret there. Uh, Daniel Sullivan says, looked like Chicago played a three-back, not in Wright-Davidson, in the last 20 minutes against Portland. Allowed a 3-4-3 with Ertz, Steve Bernard, O'Brien, and this group was spot on. Do you think this is the type of lineup Chicago might use with all their midfield depth? We, we touched on this a little bit earlier in the pod, but again, one of Claire's favorite topics, so I'm going to let her take this and run with it. <laughs> yeah, no, um, they did. And I actually, I asked Rory Dames about it after the game. And I mostly the, the question that I asked was um, if it was due to personnel or if it was strategic and because Casey Short um, has been dealing with a hamstring injury, so I didn't know if it just had to do with uh, getting her off and maybe not having the numbers to put in in the back at the end. But no, he said specifically that um, he was looking for more effective width um, in the Chicago formation, which is something that Chicago has struggled with for a long time. So the idea there was to go into a three-back, have more pace on the outside, and see what happens. Um, and it worked really well. Um, not sure it's going to work amazing all the time. A three back is always kind of risky, but, um, especially in NWSL, but no, it, it was intentional. It was a new formation that Chicago was trying out and it clearly worked some dividends. So yeah, an interesting wrinkle into what they can do. Yep. And there you have it. Uh, Darlis Soler, Soler, I'm sorry. It's late. I can't talk. (laughs) It is Uh, late. (laughs) It's late. Thoughts on the energy Monaghan brings off the bench for Sky Blue. She changed the energy of both games when she came in. Why isn't she starting? Um, a couple of things here. One is that uh, bringing a lot of energy as a sub is not necessarily the same as bringing it as a starter, as I've recently discussed about with Rachel Hill. Um, so I think Monaghan has brought a lot of energy. I also think you have to be careful with rookies that the transition from college to pro is not easy. And they're they're pretty notorious for being inconsistent. And so I think to throw her into starting a role right away when you don't, sometimes you kind of have to with rookies, like say with Washington's defense, when you don't necessarily have to. Plus, she's also probably going to get that opportunity come a few few games down the line when players start to leave. And there's no reason to rush her. Um, and I, I understand the, the mindset that, well, nothing seems to be working for Sky Blue, so why not try something different? Um 
I think she's brought a lot of energy. I don't think she's going to be necessarily a, a game changer. So I think that her time may come later. Um, Leanza Hunt says, do you think that Portland versus Chicago 4-4 draw was more of a result of strong offense or weak defense? And again, we, we touched on this a little bit, but Claire, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I don't think the defense was terrible. I think you saw some individual issues uh, in a certain number of goals. Um, I think the conditions were weird. I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but it was very windy. Um, especially in Chicago's half at the end of the first half. Um, so uh, conditions were a factor. Offensive firepower was a factor. These are two teams with some of the best offenses in the league. Um, and there, there were some poor defensive moments. I just, I, um, it was a weird game. I keep saying this. It was a weird game. Uh, yes, the def- both defenses had some real tough moments in that match, but I wouldn't necessarily say that I think that it for a 4-4 game, I, th- I wouldn't say that the defenses were atrocious. It's not like what you saw from Orlando against Portland last week, I would say. Yeah, very true. Uh, Dr. Booty MD says, I know it's off topic, but do you think certain players have an advantage playing in other leagues not in their own country? such as daily playing in the USA, bronze in France, for example. Uh, first of all, Doc, no question is off topic. We're, we're open to anything WOSO-related. Um, I, I think we could probably talk about this for a very long time, but I'm going to tr- try and, and make it fairly quick. It, it, yes and no. <laughs> um, I do think that for the player as an individual, playing in other countries p- pushes them out of their comfort zone, exposes them to other styles. Um, you know, Alex Morgan, I think, would be in a classic classic example of really evolving her game um, when she went to France. I think the downside is that you're not in front of your national team coaches all the time. You're not developing those relationships with the other, other national team players that could benefit you when it comes to making that jump. So I, I think there are, are advantages and disadvantages. Personally, if it were me, I would say playing in another country for a spell is a good thing. But if you really, especially when you're trying to make that jump, to the national team, it's probably best to be in in your your own country. And so, I think Daly's probably going to be you know one of the the few to to do that while she's playing consistently in another country, or you know to, to go a major throwback, Ali Krieger when she she came on the national team. Yeah, I think um, this opens up a larger question about the nature of um, different styles of play in the women's game. Um, the way the way Americans play soccer is very different from the European style, and um, the the common sense idea is that the American intensity tends to win over um, the Europeans' more uh, you know strategic style of play um, in a winner take all scenario. I think. Um, I think if you if you only play in the NWSL, you're going to play like an NWSL player. And if you only play in Europe, you're going to play like a European style player. And I think that both sides have vulnerabilities that I would love to see in the future um, be more well-rounded and you wouldn't feel so distinctly the differences in the way that the game is played. So I think that someone like Rachel Daly um, might truly be getting much better competition in NWSL than she might be getting in um, WSL, for example, over in England. Um, But she's not maybe learning some of the things that the French players or the German players or a teammate like Lucy Bronze is learning at um, Lyon right now. And there's there's kind of a a combination of all of those things that make up an incredible soccer player. Uh, But in the women's game those edges haven't been sanded down yet. So I think that there's value in all of it. Uh, And what's better, I just don't think we know yet. The sport's too young. That's Claire's always with a more nuanced approach than (laughs) I could give you. Uh, Just a few more. Uh, XO Woso says, is there any reason why a team like Orlando couldn't use four international NT-replacement players when World Cup players are out? Is there anything stopping short-term internationals? The caliber would be higher than 
then who they can snag to round out their roster from the U.S. Um, there is nothing stopping them besides the lack of international spots. Most, most teams don't tend to have those lying around. But in theory, yes, they could sign short-term internationals. Another reason, I think, is, is that national team replacement players don't get paid the same. I think it would be really hard to attract uh, an international. And, and another thing is, you say the caliber would be higher. Your most of your high caliber internationals are, are one either going to be at the Red the World Cup already and therefore unavailable. Um, two are probably playing somewhere in a league already, and and I, I just don't see that, that that coming for a handful of games is going to be very tempting for an international. But yes, they could. Uh, Alexis Olmstead says, I noticed that Sam Johnson has been training, but wasn't listed for Utah this weekend and wasn't on an injury report. Do we know why she wasn't available? I do not yet. Um, I will attempt to find out, but it's a, I have been attempting to find out since I saw this question, rather. But it's a Sunday, and, and Easter Sunday at that, things don't tend to happen. Claire, any insider knowledge on this? Yeah, no, I don't have an answer for that, but um, so we'll work on it. Yeah, yeah, Alexis, we will we'll work on that. Um, last but certainly not least, Stephanie McCaffrey, a couple of you guys may know her, <laughs> says, Big fan. Do you, yeah, yeah. Do you guys think that coaches with inferior sideline style should be docked timeouts at next year's NWSL draft? Kudos to Clarkson and Reddy for raising the stakes along with hashtag Silish Skinner. Um, timeouts bother me anyway at the draft, <laughs> so absolutely dock them all the points. I am 100% here for the fancy coaches and not the sweatshirts and track pants. I think, I mean, the hashtag stands. I think Skinner in particular looks great. He's trying new things. He's bringing some European style over to the States. I, I did it. love the scarf. Yes. I really dug the scarf. He's like draping that a- in a very beautiful way. <laughs> yeah. And he's supporting his team, you know, and he's, he's reaching out to a supporters group. It was just so many things. Yeah. So absolutely. McCaffrey, you, you start the petition, we will sign it. Yeah, exactly. Anything for fewer timeouts, and also I, I think that um, I think that coaching style should be rewarded. I do want to say uh, quickly, um, yesterday, Rory Dames did wear a very big coat for at least half of the match, so he should get, he should get some points for his dedication to, to, to his look. I do. I sometimes I want to give him points for for wearing so many layers and sleeves in like places like Houston and Orlando. It kind yeah. of amazes me that he can withstand that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, on that super serious, dramatic note, uh, that will wrap things up. Thanks everyone for listening. As always, this has been episode fifty six of the Equalizer Podcast with Claire Watkins and Chelsea Bush. And I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer Podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Equalizer Soccer. We thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.